History Teachers Talking Podcast short lectures have now grown up and moved to their own channel. Don't forget to subscribe to our new podcast, History Shorts, wherever you're listening to this episode. Meanwhile, thanks for listening to History Teachers Talking, and here is your newest episode. This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. I think we should start with a little trigger warning on this one, Tommy. Well, I mean, we've done with some intense or some, I'm not going to say controversial, everyone knows what happened here, but some more uh, dark concepts before, but I guess because this one is somewhat recent as compared to some other ones we've talked about, when I say recent, it's not like, you know, it's in the last hundred years, basically. Yeah, it's not like medieval torture or something. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. ones that... um. Is talked about now in school. I remember going over it is talked about when you talk about genocides, when you talk about just World War II as a whole. What we're going to be looking at today is the Japanese Unit 731, which is infamous for its human experimentation um, during World War II, where about 3,000 men, women, and children were subjects to these brutal experiments by the Japanese because they were basically as assets. It was really disgusting, really torturous, really just vile. Intent. Yeah. I vile. Mean, like, yeah, they had a lot of biological warfare testing on them. So really plumbed into new depths and what was really like a really like horrible war. So I remember years ago, we had some exchange students come to our school. They're actually from China. One student actually lived maybe about 10 miles from where unit 731 is today. Like, you know, where it was the buildings, yeah, the buildings. And he even, he said, he said like, yeah, we still don't, it's, we still don't like to talk about it. Like, you know, like relatives that I guess were experimented on there and stuff. And so it's really when you hear about a lot about how China is still upset about Japan, because they're still this like, is it. this yeah, is the this reason is why. Th- this yeah. is really one of the reasons why. There's other ones too, Rippon and King, obviously, but it's referenced really to 731, which honestly, when we were in high school, I didn't even know about. Like, it yeah, wasn't, talk, it wasn't talk talked about, about in Japan really didn't talk about it. They didn't really deny it, but they didn't really say it happened either. A lot of the paperwork has since come out. The U.S.'s role, not during these this time, but what we did after the war, what Unit we'll 731, which we'll get yeah. into, is also out there. We talk about the Holocaust. We talk about the German atrocities towards Jews and Gentiles and Slavic people. But you know, when you look at Unit 731, it is really not talked about, and purposefully so, as you will we'll get into today. Uh, at the end of the war, it's almost it's kind of suppressed. But when you start looking at Unit 731, you start to see so many parallels to what the Nazis were doing with their own experiments. But as you mentioned, the purpose was developing biological and chemical weapons. And these chemical weapons are not new to warfare by any means. The difference is that the Japanese testing on human subjects is like unparalleled even by the Nazi standards. Again, for some of the people that don't want to listen to that stuff, this is probably where you guys turned us off because we do get to some graphic stuff today. So we just want to let you guys know that. It basically all starts because Japan restarts its biological weapons programs in the 1930s. Yes. And this is all because biological weapons were actually banned in the Geneva Protocol of 1925. You go back to World War One, there was some use of biological weapons, you know, poison gas and things of that nature. People kind of saw how dangerous that could be. So they kind of said, we, we shouldn't have that. Biological weapons were so effective as a weapon. You could make the entire army sick. You know, it was going to infect everybody. Um, so when Japan occupies Manchuria in 1931... They decide to build Unit 731 or Unit 731, whatever you want to call it, in Manchuria because the occupation gave them an advantage. They were able to separate the research station from their island and also gave them access to a whole bunch of Chinese individuals to use as test subjects. So normally they might use animals or things like that. And I like, we can just use these people. people. 
because yeah. they basically saw the Chinese, and it wasn't just Chinese; all other nationalities too. They actually Russian. You, I saw yeah. Russian, Ukrainian. Anyone, anyone who was there that got captured. Anyone was there, yeah. But they just saw them as kind of like a no cost asset. Like if they die, they die. Like that's fine. So they, well, they called just, them logs, right? Did you read that? Yeah. They called them logs. each individual yeah, well, is called log because they hid the initial base. They said it was like a logging yeah. operation. So every time a log fell and that another person died. Destiny. It was also to dehumanize them. Let's be honest too. Like yeah. the idea is if you call them logs, if you call them animals, like yeah. it's going to make it easier to do what they're doing. But really at this point, they saw yeah. the Chinese as less than human. And they also knew what they were doing was wrong in the eyes of the international community, which is why they wanted to keep it so hush-hush. Yeah, the parallels here with the Nazis are very similar, though, because the Nazi concentration camps were not in Germany. They put them outside of Germany, so the people of Germany would not see it happening. And same thing happened here, right? The idea is, hey, Manchuria is perfect because it's far away. No one could see it. And that's why they did it. And really, the spearhead guy here is a surgeon named General Shiro Ishii. Uh, He's a chief medical officer for the Imperial Japanese Army. And he's the one that spearheads this unit. And initially, even the Japanese high command is kind of against this. They're like, look, the Geneva Convention, da, 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 like we shouldn't be doing this. However, what Shiro Ishii does is he presents it in economic terminology. And he says, look, we're now invaded Manchuria. We're, we're about to invade China. You could spend tons of money on trying to build up an army or defeat armies at a fraction of a cost. Bacteria and gas is a lot less expensive alternative. And that's kind of what drove military dictatorship of Japan to be like, all right, let's do this. And they start actually giving him the money for the research that he needs. Well, that's what they're going to do. And there's going to be a bunch of different types of testing. So they're going to be doing like not just chemical warfare, but they're going to be doing frostbite testing, which we'll talk about. They um, operated on... People removed organs while they were still alive. They did weapons testing, different types of diseases, venereal diseases, um, testing human limits, which we'll look at. And there was a lot of um, rapes and pregnancies also during yes. this time, and which we're, which we're going to get into too. Which and they yeah. would also then test on the little babies that are as young as two, three days old. Yeah, they would and test that, and, on them. Yeah, because they want to see how it would affect newborns. They're doing all this because they're trying to like solve or figure out what's the best way to treat these wounds for the Japanese. They're not going to expose the Japanese to frostbite in these types of ex- experimentations, but they'll do it to the Chinese. They'll do it to yep. the prisoners of war. And then again, if you Google or look up some units, you're going to find some lot of graphic images too. Uh, this is just like a podcast, so you're not going to see the pictures here. Everything you think they would look like, they're going to look like. It's almost out of a horror movie, you know, yeah. but except it's not, it's real. But the way they did this, Kebutai is kind of like the SS Gestapo police of the Japanese armed forces. The Nazis have the SS, you have the Kebutai be the secret police that would literally go out and round up people that would have and bring him over to this unit. I was like, here you go. Here's more prisoners for you. And the prisoners were initially really well maintained and fed. And the reason for that is because they wanted to make sure that all the experiments were done on somewhat healthy people yeah, that they were when controlled. the experiment started. Yep. Yeah, it was a control experiment. I wanted to make sure that if they were sick, it was because of what they did to them, not because they had something else. Even like the emperor is kind of like, all right, I'm going to allow it. By 36, there's evidence that Emperor Hirohito does allow and authorize the creation of this unit. It is called the Epidemic Prevention Department, though. That's kind of how it is. Yeah, so it um, sounds a lot down. better, right? It makes exactly, and that's how the money goes to. Yeah, the money goes to an epidemic prevention department. So that sounds better when you start trying to do your taxes, right? They're just, they're just not saying, you know, how they're going to gain this research to 
cure the epidemic, that they're actually inflicting an epidemic on these people. Nuts. So, so let's kind of get a little bit into what was actually done here. I guess the first one is to talk about the frostbite. Yep. Probably one of the most individuals who did this was Yoshimura Hitsatu. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about him is he does not get tried for any of this after the war. Anything I'm going to tell you about, he was never tried for it. He actually winds up becoming very successful doctor in private sectors after the war. He's dealing with frostbite. So that was his thing, hypothermia. And he used a human subjects and wanted to really see how their reactions would be to frostbite. So what he would do is he would submerge these prisoners' limbs, their arms, their legs, in a tub of water filled with ice, and they would hold them there until they were frozen solid or even formed a coat of ice over them, over the skin. And then he tried all these, he timed how long it took for the human body to like naturally thaw itself out. A lot of eyewitnesses said like they almost sounded like like a pike of wood hitting yeah. like other wood and stuff like that because they were frozen solid. And then he would try all these different methods of rapidly thawing out the frozen appendage. He would douse it with hot water, pour it in fire, leaving them untreated overnight to see how long it took for their blood to thaw out. Through all this, they were able to figure out what the best treatment for frostbite was, which is basically to immerse the person or the limb in water a bit warmer than 100 degrees, but never more than 122 degrees. So you think about how much like back and trial forth, and error, how, how too, trial and error they had to do yeah. there to get to that number. And then these poor people who were subjected to probably unbelievable pain. I mean, I've never had frostbite, but I can just imagine it's it's horrible. Just when your hand gets freezing cold sometimes, and then imagine being suddenly doused in 100 degrees boiling water or in fire. Like, they said that it was often 40 to 50 degrees below zero where they were put into these. Yes, it was in, freezing cold. And he also admitted, right? So Yoshimura admitted to using 20 children. And out of those 20 children, somewhere as young as three days old, there were infants, three-day yeah, infants, yeah. that he would also expose them to below zero degrees Celsius. So he wanted to see like, all right, does the baby do this differently? Again, these are newborns. But as we mentioned before briefly, a lot of these newborns came out of the fact that women that were brought to this experimental facility were raped. So their children were taken away and then used for further experiments. Again, there's so many variations. So he's like, all right, well, what if the victim was working out before that? How would that affect it? What if the victim ate a diet that was big in like wheat or, you know, gluten or whatever? How would that affect it? What if they were hungry for 24 hours before that? Like he was very excessive with his frostbite testing to basically see like what will affect age, sex, you know, even a hot meal immediately after or before, right? Like that's how specific he got. All these variables to see which would give the best chance to save the limb later on for a Japanese soldier later on. Yeah. And I mean, hundreds of people died, obviously. They also had different tests that dealt with dehydration. I'm sure you saw that, right? How much can we dehydrate a person? How much can a person actually go without water? And it's the same premise. Depending on age, let's do this to a younger person, older person, so on and so forth. They would do bloodlust testing where they were like, all right, well, let's drain blood. And every day we'll drain more and more and more and more and more. And we'll start looking at the effects of draining the blood of at what point does the person start to feel tingling in their arms? At what point does a person start feeling something else? And then they would sometimes cut off people's limbs to see which limb would cause the most bleeding. Or they would cut a person on their stomach versus on their back versus by their feet. And again, to kind of check out of which portion of the body the bleeding was the worst, I guess. You had people that were hung upside down, right? To see how long they could stay upside down. Before their head would, well, the blood would rush to their head and cause cause damage. It was all about to see how long, like it was like the human body limits, basically. They would keep people awake. They would beat them repeatedly to see how long it took them to heal. All these different things just to 
see how long people could be subjected to different things. I'm just walking, right? Just mark, they would have people just like walk in circles to see what would happen with no shoes on and what would happen to their feet over time, just being exposed to the elements, you know, like yeah. all these things that, and they would just keep detailed, detailed, detailed reports on this stuff. When gangrene would set in, when the foot would fall off, the amount of pus coming out of the wounds, all this was like detailed. Yeah. And it's, that's important to know those details because that comes into play later on after the war, what happens to all these details. But they would inject people with different blood, specifically animal blood, to kind of see what happens. Like, okay, what if we there's no access to blood and you're on the battlefield and we have access to most notably horse blood? So they started injecting people with horse blood and they're like, eh, that doesn't really work. Then they started doing testing on combining different types of blood. So if you have O, like, you know, we know today, like if you have O negative, that one is universal. Like all that stuff that we're learning through these experiments. They're like, all right, well, what if I take A blood and move it to O positive blood? How does that affect this person? And they would uh, have these low pressure chambers where they would put these people in these chambers and lower the pressure until the people's eyes popped out of their sockets. Like at what point would that happen? Again, there's so many things. X-rays, X-rays, you know, obviously X-rays machines were out. And we know today when you go get an X-ray, even if you're at the dentist, they put this little shield on you because exposure is not good. So they were like, all right, well, lethal doses of x-rays, how much is too much? So they would just completely expose someone to more x-ray, more, more x-ray, more x-ray, and be like, oh, okay, at this point, this is not good. Injecting people with seawater, burning people alive to see how long they could last, or burning people until almost dead to see essentially like, all right, at what point can we save them if someone is burning, for example, in an aircraft, you know, if it's... if you were flying and you got shot down by the enemy. Yeah, there was a lot of studies with that, like the flamethrowers. That was something they were really big yeah. on, was how you could shoot someone with a flamethrower on the skin and then see how they could heal people. Because that was something that they knew the Americans used. And that could happen yeah. on like that island warfare. So they had to figure that sort of stuff out. I saw one of the other ones that was pretty big was the idea of dissecting people when they were alive. They would yeah. purposely infect people with different diseases. A lot of experimenting with syphilis, if you saw that. That I was kind that, of the yeah. one reason that where they would force, where they would rape these women and force them to get pregnant is they wanted to see how syphilis could be transferred from the mother to the child. And what's interesting, well, not interesting, also discussing about Unit 731 is that there's no survivors. There was zero, they, zero yeah. survivors. They don't think any of the children survived. They think they were all killed shortly after birth. Um, no one who was ever dissected on, including there was a couple people, like some of these uh, people that got plague. The plague actually spread to some of the workers. Yeah. And then they experimented on them. So if you yeah. if you somehow caught the plague of one of these diseases, then all right now you were going to be grounds for also to be experimented on live. And they would remove organs and stuff like that just to see how it would affect. And all this is done without any sort of anesthesia or painkillers. They're not putting people out or anything like that. You know, putting them to sleep beforehand. They are literally just no. Yeah, cutting invasive, them open. Yeah, invasive surgery them. after cutting people open. Yep. They're, they're literally cut some people in half. They are crushing their limbs, like we said. You know, they're just tying their arms up and cutting off circulation and seeing how long that goes while they're operating on another part of their body. So they were used all different ways. And I saw some of like the, the write-ups and stuff that obviously translated. And they're basically saying this. You know, we, we had their arms tied up so that they we could see how long it would take from the loose circulation as we remove contents from their intestines. So they're like, and they said this is a good use of this person because we're able to do several experiments on them at the same time. Nuts. It's totally just they seeing them as an asset or as a tool, not as people at all. 
Yeah, you saw the New York Times interviewed one former member of the Unit 731, and, and he's talking about, all right, well, they always struggled, you know, because as we mentioned, they would tie him up, but they were completely cognizant of what's going on. And this one guy's like, so then I took a scalpel and I opened him up from basically the top of, you know, bottom of his neck all the way down to like his stomach. He screamed until he stopped screaming. It's like, what is happening? Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast. They wanted to really see the intestines of, all right, this person's sick. So what happens to every intestine? We want to see it right away at, let's say you have syphilis. What happens at the mark where you have syphilis for four weeks? So they'll kill someone that's four weeks into it. And then let's see what happens at eight weeks. So they would kill someone that had it for eight weeks and just, just compare these organs. And they're trying to do this with venereal diseases because they're also trying to figure out if they could find some vaccinations. And that's also how they wind up getting the prisoners. Like, hey, you're sick, so we have this vaccination. Take this shot. But really what they were doing is infecting them further with other things. And then you had, with regards to weapons testing, what they would do is they would try to see how close a person had to be to a grenade to be severely hurt so they would bombs bayonets bayonets the one thing is they would tie a person to a pole and they would literally start using grenades at a certain distance 50 feet 25 feet 10 feet to try to see how much or how close a person could be to a grenade before they died first of all all the people afterwards they were all burned right so there's no evidence of this the second that a body was used the person was used their body was burnt um, so there's nobody that could really trace. Yeah, there was no, there was no trace. The only trace of any of this was, I guess, some stories that it was obviously the workers. The area yeah, were hearing about it, the workers and also all the just the notes. Yeah. So that that's the only real like proof that this even happened. Going back into some of the experiments, you had the biological warfare. So the idea, like you said, plague. Plague was huge. They would yeah. infect these fleas with plague. The idea really was to try to send this to the United States, and yeah, they, they were started drop that on a U.S. city. That was the plan. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And they started this on different Chinese cities. They started to do like low uh, flyovers in their airplanes where they would drop these fleas. And, you know, fleas just multiply. And they were all infested in, with the plague. And before you know it, thousands, tens of thousands of people started dying for the bubonic plague. The idea that this was going to be used for the United States was actually stopped. Um, I'm not sure if you saw this. It was supposed to happen in 45. They had everything ready to send this biological warfare to they various cities. California. They were going to attack California with it. Yeah. And that's what, at that point, the um, chief of staff, general chiefs of staff, Umezu, basically said, no, you're not going to do that. The, the plan was that they would have these aircraft that were launched from submarines. So you have these submarine aircraft carriers that would get really close to the West Coast, the U.S., uh, San Diego, L.A., and San Francisco. And then these planes would basically come out with this bubonic play in cholera and typhus. And they would fly over and start dropping all these pathogens all over the U.S. population. And in the last minute... The general chief more- of staff, yeah. Yoshiro yeah. Yumezi basically said, we're not doing it. Because, yeah. and this is a quote, biological warfare is conducted. Yeah. It will grow from the dimension of war between Japan and America to an endless battle of humanity against bacteria. And that Japan will, will earn a desertion of the world. 
So he was kind of like, it's just going to make more problems than what it's worth. Also, by March 45, you kind of know where the war is going. Yeah. So he's like, this is, it's just not going to be a good, it's not going to be a good look for Japan. You know, summarizing it, basically. The bacteria is not just going to target just Americans. You know, it's going to spread everywhere. Yeah. Like if you, once you release it, how do you stop it? Right. I mean, stop it. Yeah. Toxic gas was another one. They had these phone booth little tanks, portable gas chambers that they would test on prisoners to really test different types of gas masks. Like which gas masks are better? It didn't really matter. They just grabbed anyone they could. Uh, to the extent that they said like, hey, we need someone that has, we're going to do some brain experiments. So we want someone that's healthy, that's about 20 years old. And the police would be like, all right, we'll supply you with someone. And they would literally just go out into a village somewhere in China and just be like, hey, you, you look good. Boom, bring him out. Because that's the subject, the specific subject they, they wanted. And, and it was literally out of a movie. Like they were pulled, they pulled up to the unit. They always came at night whenever they got more yep. subjects. People, yep. It was always in a van that had just two, a black van or black truck just with two holes in it, air holes. And they said the average life expectancy of someone who entered was two months. But the ones who survived longer were usually female prisoners who were purposely um, impregnated. But other than that, so basically once they were, someone was brought into Unit 731, the life experience was about in two months, you were going to be dead, but in a very brutal, painful way. Is there any other experiments that um, that we missed? We don't need to get into graphic details of all of them, yeah. But different type of weapon testing is some of the more out of... Out of off the wall stuff is they also just injected like blowfish venom and jellyfish venom and stuff yeah. like that into people. Again, just anything they could think of. Let's just see what's going to happen. So then they would inject that and then see how long they died and inject some other people and then cut out their organs and see how, how they died, how it infected different organs and stuff like that. So almost yeah. anything they could think of, they would just grab some people and then try it out. So let's talk about the, the end here, because this is where it gets kind of, it wasn't controversial because it's it's controversial from the beginning, but it's more controversial, not more equally controversial here. So the second world war starts to come to an end. We know this as it's becoming very obvious in August 45, that it's red Army's coming through because the red army is trying to get through Manchuria. Right. So even though the U S forces are not in Manchuria, the red army is. So what is decided is that the unit had to abandon older work really quickly. And Tokyo, orders the destruction of all incriminating materials and all the people exactly potential witnesses so there was 300 remaining prisoners left there after hundreds of thousands had died and they were gassed or poisoned right away like and burned because there can be absolutely no evidence of this and then they had 600 chinese laborers that were working around the complex you know cleaning other things uh so they were all shot right away and burned as well so they could definitely be no witnesses and every single member that worked there was ordered to and i quote disappear and take the secret to the grave and along with it they were all given a sign on capsule i'm sure you saw that so it's like hey in case you are captured and someone forces you to talk about this take this capsule as for the building itself unit 731 they try to blow it up the problem is that it was such a big concrete complex that they couldn't fully destroy it. Very similar to what the Nazis did with the crematoriums and stuff. They tried to blow them up, but they couldn't completely destroy them. That's kind of what happened here because these guys are yeah. rushing, right? Yeah. yeah, well, they're trying to get out of there quickly. They didn't have the manpower. It was just a small skeleton crew and gets blown up. And, you know, they're worried because they don't want to get – it's the same fear the Germans had. They don't want to get taken prisoner by the Russians, like the Soviets. Yeah. That's a big fear because they know it's going to be very different. If you're going to surrender to a force, it's surrendered to the West, not the not the Soviets. 
So um, one of the individuals who actually is the first to arrive in Japan after the surrender in 45. The is, microbiologist, right? Yeah. Yes, the microbiologist by the name of Lieutenant Colonel Murray Sanders. And he arrives there and he has no idea what Unit 731 is. But he is a microbiologist and he's a member of America's military center for biological weapons. So it's what he's, it's what he's studying. Yeah. So he arrives there and he kind of is putting some stuff together that something's, something was going on here. But most of the Japanese there and these doctors, these people that they've captured, like, they're not saying anything. They're not saying much. He's like, all right, if you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. I have to leave. I'm going to go somewhere else. The Soviets are on their way. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're, they're like, what? He's like, yeah, the Soviets will come. You know, um, they'll, they'll, take it from, you. Yeah, they'll yeah. take it from here. And they're like, uh, how about let's talk? So right away, as soon as he makes that threat, they start talking and they start giving him manuscripts and stuff like that describing Japan's involvement in biological warfare. Sanders takes this information to Douglas MacArthur. And since he's in charge of rebuilding Japan when the, after the Allies took over, he strikes a deal with these Japanese informants. He grants them secretly immunity to the physicians. All of, them, all, the physicians all, of them, yeah. all of you 731, including their leader, in his shame for providing all this information just to the Americans. All right, all this data on human experimentation. Because you realize, have, I mean, think about it. This started in the yeah, 30s. They, they, have have, like, they have a decade worth of data, over a decade exactly. worth of data. And like, this is data that the United States or Western powers was never going to be able to get. No. Because they were yeah, never going to do Ethically, they were, ethically, they were never going to do this stuff. But they're like, it's what's done is done, right? That's their mindset. What's done is done. This information is valuable. It's about biological warfare, human experimentation. But it's more important that we have it and that the Soviets don't have it. He said, again, this is the Cold War going on, too. So it was just, they didn't want to share this information with any other countries. So they'll make sure that we had it all. And the Tokyo's War Tribes Tribunal actually only heard one reference to Japanese experiments during this time. Yeah, the U.S. Um, government civilians. suppressed it. They suppressed all this, and they just didn't even talk about it. And it was kind of not even brought up even during the American occupation. The Soviets did have some public trials about this. Again, we're well, because saying, some Soviets died. Remember we mentioned before. Yeah, there were some, they were some ones died. that were being you know, imprisoned against. So even while German physicians were brought to trial for what they did, and that was publicized, all right, it never happened with what was happening in Japan. And it wasn't really anyone that even knew about it too. And some art, critics argued that it was racism led to this double standard. You know, it was kind of like, well, the Germans were doing it to other White people. White Europeans. Yeah. Why this? the Japanese were doing it to other Asians. So whatever. Yeah. You know, but so it's there's a lot, there's a lot of politics, there's a lot of racism. I'm sure you can say there's a lot of just well, this, they're giving us information that's going to help us out in the, this next conflict. Use what they got for the side of good. That's how they're rationalizing it. You know, I saw I saw before that they initially tried to microfilm all of the data and bring it over to the United States, and then it was decided that they're not going to store this data in the United States. So they'll leave it in Japan. So even though it was belonged to the United States, the data would remain in. Japan, like the, it's almost the U.S. didn't want any evidence of the fact that we brought this data home. Yeah, you know, like hey, we don't really have this here. So, and the Soviet trials, when the Soviets have their own trials, it's not it's not the Nuremberg trials. This is a yeah. separate trial uh, against Japanese war crimes, and the Soviets are very clear. Like, no, there was a unit seven three one. There was experiments, and they're trying to give sentences to some of the people they captured because they do capture some. And they flat out say to the world, like, look, United States refuses to acknowledge even our own trials. And then the trials are branded in, in the U.S. as communist propaganda. Like, we don't know what they're talking about. I, I, unit seven three one. Like, what, what what are you talking about? And for the longest time, this was something that was really not discussed. As much as the Soviet Union was trying to bring awareness to it, but 
again, they're not necessarily the good guys because Soviet Union shortly thereafter opened up their own biological weapons facility. The basis for that facility was any documentation that they were able to capture on Unit 731 from the people that worked there that they captured. And that was kind of like what Japan would say for a while, because even in the 80s, historians would start to write books about it. And then the Japanese Ministry of Education would argue, take that out. You're not going to talk yeah. about Unit 731. You can mention it, but you're not going to put in these details. And they would basically say that there was no um, academic research to support this claim. And in a way, they were right, because all that academic research Surprise, was taken. Yeah. Now it starts to, some of that evidence starts to surface in the mid 80s, early 90s, and Japan will start to talk about it. A lot of the history textbooks, they will reference Unit 731, but they don't go into great detail. This was in like the mid 90s, early 2000s, when this was basically the case. You Did you see that what happened like with COVID nineteen? That I like yeah. when I was doing my research, I was like, "Whoa, what?" So scientists, apparently, the scientific community called for this experimental data when COVID nineteen happened in uh, late twenty twenty, early twenty one. Uh, the scientific community asked the United States government and the Japanese government to release the experimental data of Unit 731 because they wanted to look at any human pathogen interactions, any data, yeah. anything they, that could help them, right? Figure this, this pandemic control out. And both the US and Japanese government refused to release that information. So it's crazy because it's been what, like 80 years? And now we are in a world lockdown pandemic. And it's like, hey, you know what? There might be something in these files that might help us control these pandemics, the pandemic that we're dealing with right now. And Japan and U.S. They're like, no, it's classified. Classified. Yeah, we're not going to show you what that's about. No way. But it just shows you that we know what we know, but what else was happening there, right? I mean, for a fact... Post-war, the like last couple months of the war, the Unit 731 actually got a, a bunch of different animals, gave diseases to these animals, and sent them out into the country right before they burned the building down and killed everybody. Yes. So the killing, the biological killing with different diseases they sent out with the animals continued for a couple of years after the war. So God knows how many other things they did during or shortly thereafter. Yeah, I mean, it was something that's still, like I said, it's still in the psyche. It's still something that's affecting people to this day. As of even the early 2000s, they're still discussing it. There's still all this um, call for to get more information on it. They're arguing, you know, should Japan formally apologize to this? What's their role now? And it still leads to a lot of tension between Japan and China to this day. No, it wasn't until early 2000s that the Tokyo, um, you know, district court first time ever admitted, yeah, we engage in biological warfare. Yeah, they just like, that's when they finally acknowledge it. Well, but they don't want to, again, but to a certain extent, because they reject any victim's compensation claims, right? Well, that's what it is. Yeah. Because then it's going to, if they acknowledge it, then it's going to start to be like, all right, well, we got to pay people. Died by, yeah. So they, they just don't want to deal with that. This is the, the scary part about this stuff, because this was that's so ethically. Part? Well, no, I'm saying all of this is, but ethically, this is so wrong. Just doing this research, right? A lot of people that were part of it would later claim like, look, this is human curiosity. Uh, we do experiments on animals all the time, and now you have the ability to do it on human beings. And it's like, you actually don't have the ability to do it on human beings. You choose to do it on human beings, which is the wrong part. But well, imagine- That's how they rationalize it, though. That's yeah. How, that's like, the only way. I'm not, I'm not of course, condoning yeah, yeah. it. That's how they would rationalize it. How much positive came out? This is the big moral question. You could ask this in you know, an ethics class. How much positives came out of this versus the negative? And the, You're never going to know. Yeah, at any point, does a positive outweigh the negative? 
these are all big ethical questions that you're you know, never really going to know how much because their records are never like fully released. Like it's only a little bit here, a little bit there. You never know. Like could these breakthroughs have could have been made other ways? Any sort of these medical breakthroughs? So yeah, makes you, know, you then, wonder. It makes you wonder. That makes you wonder too. You you go look at seven sorry you know research in seven thirty one. You can go down a lot of other rabbit holes where people are saying this stuff is still going on today. That the government is doing this sort of stuff and these underground cave networks with lizard people and. God knows what else. So, uh, on that note, um, thank you for uh, sticking. Uh, Epstein's Island. There you go. Yeah, right. Thank you for sticking <laughs> with us on this one, guys. This was uh, this was a pretty tough one. Tough one to talk about. Tough one to listen to. I'm, I'm sure. So, uh, thank you so much. Hopefully, we'll come up come back with something lighter next week. Yeah, thanks so much, guys, for listening. We appreciate it. You can always find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Uh, we are there to answer any of your questions. Please feel free to shoot us any suggestions you might have for episodes. We do love to get those. And I guess until next week, enjoy, everybody. Stay safe. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.